there, there must be some major psychological component to neurofine cold and flu because even though this is supposedly the same quantity of pseudoephedrine, it just doesn't have the same impact. Because you don't get the painkiller. You haven't got the painkiller to go with it. But I'm not in any pain to begin with, so the painkiller shouldn't really do anything. It's the mixture. It's the mixture. It just somehow makes it more... Potent. I guess that's possible. I guess it's possible. It's funny because when I went to buy it, the guy behind the counter was like, oh, and you know not to take this before bed because, you know, and I was like, yeah, I know. And I was thinking, that's why I'm buying them in the first place. It's too early still. It's not your bedtime. Okay. So recently, Disney shared its release schedule up to 2027. That's a lot of commitment. I guess you have to plan in advance for this sort of thing. Where's the wiggle room, though, right? Just cancel everything. Just cancel it all. I bet I, you must, I bet they will. I bet half the things on this list will never see the light of day. You and your predictions. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Which half, then? Tell me what's in this half. All of the ones that start Avatar. What's your problem with Avatar? It's just not very good. They've got five Avatar movies on this list. Actually, no, no. So they've got four Avatar movies. They've got Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5. Who's going to watch all these Avatar films? Well, in theory, the same people who are watching all the Star Wars films because they're alternating alongside Star Wars. I really wonder if people are going to get Star Wars fatigue as well. Well, that's why Avatar's coming online now. It's genius. It's genius. They'll put an Avatar film and they'll make us really appreciate that Star Wars wasn't that bad in comparison. That'd be amazing. No, seriously, though. Can you imagine Avatar 5? Like, what are they going to do? They just make, they're making it up as they go along. Was Avatar any good? It was good enough. Avatar was just one big marketing exercise. It was just literally, hey, 3D films are a thing now. We can make a full feature length 3D film for reals. Come and watch it. It's the experience of a lifetime. And so everyone duly went out and watched Avatar and was impressed because it was 3D. But the actual film was not a great film. It wasn't a bad film. But it wasn't a good one either. You went to see it, right? I went to see it twice. <laughs> For reasons that are stupid. You see, a lot of people did the same thing. That's what they're banking on. I mean, because it was such a big cinema event, a friend of mine said, hey, let's go and see it at the IMAX. Let's go and book a midnight showing at the IMAX. And so he went and booked tickets. And then a few days before that showing, I happened to be out with different people. And they were like, oh, let's go and watch Avatar right now. So I went to watch it. But I still had these tickets for a midnight showing at the IMAX with this other friend. And then I went to that as well. The real question is, did you reveal to your other friend that you had seen it already? I did. You're a terrible friend. What? I'm just letting them know that I've seen this film before, but I'm sticking to this commitment. I'm going to go and watch it with you as well. But I'd rather be in bed. I'd rather be in bed. Do you know, <laughs> there was like some big like company drinks thing that day as well i remember like showing up and being absolutely blasted well that's the only way to watch it the second time <laughs> that's the only way to watch it the second time like completely off your face <laughs> i wasn't really to be clear i wasn't really 
This is the highest grossing film of all time. Well, at the time we record this, which is in the distant past, like this episode is another episode out of time. The current date is May the 10th. And as of the moment we record this, Avatar is still the highest grossing film of all time, which boggles the mind, actually. I who, who was watching Avatar? Seriously. You watched it twice. Oh, jeez. You paid extra to watch it IMAX. <sighs> but Avengers, Avengers might overtake it. It might overtake it, yeah. Anyway, I maintain that Avatar was an all right film, but it wasn't that good. And I don't think Avatars 2, 3, 4 and 5 are going to be very good. I think you're going to get Avatar 2, it's going to be a flop, and 3, 4, and 5 will be canned. Wait, Avatar will be fine because it's James Cameron. <laughs> what has James Cameron actually done? Make films that make billions of dollars. Other than Avatar. Titanic? Other than Titanic. Now you're testing me now. Yes, I <laughs> am. Well... He gave us Terminator. Which one? One and two. Oh, okay, fine. The good ones. And he made Aliens. Oh, he made Aliens! Can we have an avatar that's like Aliens? True Lies? I did actually quite like True Lies. That's enough, isn't it? Okay, maybe... maybe Well, we'll see. Maybe I'll be eating my words. Maybe I'll be eating my words. I just don't think the Avatar Cinematic Universe just has the staying power. Well, it's still being made. You know, they can make it up as they go. You know, there's so much freedom at the moment. It's not like Star Wars. They're not tied to anything. They're not held back. By midichlorians. They can do whatever they like. They can create green aliens. Yellow <laughs> aliens. Red aliens. That's the solution. Yes. Each new Avatar film will have just a different colour of alien. That's the plan. That's their master plan. That's, the, that's how they're going to really surprise me. It's like, Avatar's so passe, it's just full of blue aliens. No, 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 they're green this time. Oh, wait, sign me up! Can we add an extra dimension for each Avatar film? How? What how? I don't know, I'm just the ideas guy. You make it happen. You can put them all in a big ship. <laughs> wait, wait, what? And <laughs> we'll crash it into a space iceberg. Yes. And have robots from the future. There you go. There you go. That's the fourth dimension. There you go. Avatar 2 will be about time travel. I haven't really thought about what comes <laughs> after that. <laughs> I have another question for you. What's your threshold on messaging apps? How many messaging apps will you install on your phone? <laughs> is, this, is this in light of our earlier conversation? Yes, it is. Where it transpires, I have a whole bunch of messaging apps that I used to only talk to one other person. I wish to be one of those people, please. Can I? Can we um, use Signal? <laughs> Fine. I want to be special. <laughs> you want to be special. Oh, jeez. What do I have? So, I have one friend who just insists on using iMessage. I have one friend who insists on using Facebook Messenger. I have one friend who just loves stickers so much that they want to use Line. Oh, and I have one friend who loves Google to the extent that he wants to use Hangouts. Everyone else is WhatsApp. 
I can talk to you on Skype. I'll be that person. Skype is terrible. Skype is like a car crash. Like Skype, Skype just just randomly just doesn't send you notifications every now and then. So do you think you'll continue this policy? Is this a policy open for everyone? Like, did you have Facebook Messenger in the first place? I had Facebook Messenger in the first place because Facebook made me install it at some point. Someone sent me a message on Facebook and instead of showing it to me in the Facebook app, it just demanded I install Messenger. So I did, and I just never deleted it. Do you have WeChat? I do have WeChat. Is there, do you have a special friend on WeChat? My WeChat account is suspended. Because <laughs> I didn't log in for for ages, and then they just suspended my account for inactivity. And then to unsuspend my account, they need someone who has a WeChat account in good standing or something to like scan my QR code. I don't know. We've tried to unsuspend my account. It's just it's, something's gone wrong. A few times. What 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 have you been doing? I don't know, man. I don't know. Actually, I did use it to talk to someone in Tibet. So possibly I've just been... Possibly I'm on some list now. Yeah. That might actually be the problem, actually thinking about it. I might actually talk to someone in Tibet who, turned, who, who the Chinese government decided they didn't like. I don't know. The whole thing's weird. And you pulled other people into it now. Now you've tried to get them to verify you. Oh, maybe. Such a dodgy character, really, aren't you? <laughs> what? I'm innocent. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself, Timothy. And we're a book club for games. But not today. What are we going to cover today? In this timeless episode unmoored from the flow of causality i don't know this is an episode that we can't discuss anything even remotely time sensitive on because we're recording it weeks in advance so we're going to talk about our ideas that we would want to make into games our kickstarter pictures yes well no by that time though kickstarter will have burnt down and it'll be something else It'll be, it'll be Fig. Is Fig still going? Is Fig even going now? I don't know. It's fine. We'll, we'll put them on the Epic Store. They'll be Epic Store crowdfunded or something. Exclusives. <laughs> yeah, so we will talk about ideas for games that we would want to make. And laugh at them. Critique them. Tell each other our game ideas are bad and we should feel bad and just stay doing our day jobs. Would you like to start? We're going to alternate me, then you, then me. And then that will probably be it because we'll be out of time. <laughs> also, you only brought one idea to this party. Well, I need to give you more time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know I just just love talking. I just love the sound of my own voice. I can't be diplomatic about it. I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> my mother said, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And that's why I never say anything. Is that is that the truth, Ting? In the whole that, podcast, I'm just biting my tongue. Yeah, you're so quiet the whole time. It's because you actually just want to just, like, take the piss. Wow. And I thought you were a nice guy. Once again, we've proved that Ting is secretly a jerk. I don't want to rush you. I want you to give your, your ideas time to, like, marinate. Fester. Fester. To develop. Develop a rich umami flavour. 
All right. So idea number one, platform game simulator. We need a better name than that. Come on. <laughs> this is already like the second name it's had. <laughs> it was originally Mario Maker Maker. No, it was originally just my shameless ripoff of Mario Maker, but better. And then it was Platform Game Maker. Actually, at some point it was called May May Maker, and it was supposed to be like meme themed. But then I thought that might be a bit weird. So Platform Game Simulator I thought might be funny because the prototype, which is in theory what I'm trying to make at the moment, is just the barest bones for a like a classical platform game engine in Unity. So not all this Unity physics-y platform-y nonsense, but a classic pixel-y platform game engine. And then you can tweak all the parameters and whatever, like a simulator. But also, like Goat Simulator, it will be a ridiculous platform game simulator. So that's that's the general super high-level concept. Basically, I was just really enjoying people make troll levels on Mario Maker. And I just thought, this is good, but they're having to go to such lengths to make these trolls. Like they're having to twist the Mario Maker mechanics so hard and exploit all these glitches that Nintendo might ban them for and all this other stuff just to make these hilarious and amazing levels. And wouldn't it be great if we just gave these people a better tool set to make horrifying troll levels with and so i was just thinking couldn't you make mario maker but better but worse but worse but much much worse well i mean the fact is making mario maker is actually really really hard it's actually a non too much making anything is actually pretty hard anything that is not of trivial complexity is actually pretty tough to make but I thought it'd be interesting to try and do. So examples of some obvious things that you would want to add to a Mario Maker-esque game. I bet they're going to do half of these in Mario Maker 2 anyway. And then I'm going to be like, oh, I don't need to make this game. Someone already made it. Have some kind of way to tie multiple levels together. So have some kind of world map and be able to ship like a pack of levels. And then a natural consequence of that is going to be having multiple exits from your level. So like the secret key exits in Mario World and then be able to change the path you have on that world map. So those are two obvious things you could do. I don't know. I just think the ability to to really be creative, like a classical platform game maker that's less restrictive than Mario Maker. I mean, I'm, I guess like Little Big Planet, but instead of it being horrible wibbly wobbly physics platforming tight crisp classical pixel platforming but with the freedom to create that you get from little big planet that's the kind of pitch but aren't platform games based on certain mechanics yeah like mario has all these power-ups do you know to be honest i've never played little big planet so i don't really know what i'm talking about yeah, I mean, in terms of the theme, as I said, I was going with the whole memes theme at one point. So I was thinking, you know, like the small Mario equivalent is a papa and then he collects some bone and becomes like a doggo or something. And then, I don't know, what's the meme of the week? 
the, the, the problem with memes actually is are they copyrighted? I don't even know. Can't be. Some of them, I think, like the troll face is copyrighted, isn't it? Or me gusto is copyrighted. It's really weird. Like, I don't know what the copyright situation is around memes. So it, it's one of those things where you might think, oh, I'll just put all these memes in, it'll be great. But I don't know if it really works like that. No, you need to create the memes on release. Your marketing campaign will be to overrun Reddit with the meme of the week. And then you'll coincide your release and you'll be the meme yourself. <laughs> I feel like what you really want to try and make is like this flexible base engine. So there are certain features I would want in the engine, which we'll talk about in a bit. And you want to be able to quickly release content packs for it. When you said simulator, I thought you were about to change settings or attributes for your character. So you could like have a a super mega duper jump, massive super duper mega jump or you make yourself really slippery or really frictionless well for the prototype that's what i'm going to do because i'm i'm literally just trying to write a as i said classical pixel platform engine well engine mechanics whatever i mean i'm i'm writing it in unity but i'm just writing my own physics essentially and all the parameters are tunable you can just go and just change the number so you can prototype different feeling platform games in it would be the idea for the initial prototype. We're not going to expose that to the player. I I don't think you necessarily want to because, you know, the beauty of Mario Maker is that when you start up a level, you know exactly what you're going to get in terms of how your character controls. And the fun is playing the level, but you've no uncertainty about how Mario behaves in that level for example. So I think if you actually want to make the game a game, you have to have actually quite fixed mechanics. Yeah, you could make it just binary, more binary. More binary, it's not really binary if there's more than... We can have grades. I don't know. I mean, what are the specifics of the character and the power-ups? And the, I haven't really thought about any of that too deeply, other than perhaps it all being dog themed a lot of these random games are just like dog themed for some reason it's part of the universe you you the mike sir mike the the beagle cinematic universe it's just all full of different dogs there's so much merch to go with that as well i should just get a dog <laughs> That's, that is what that was not where we were going okay well before i move on to what i actually really think would be the interesting things to bake into the engine a few more final clarifications on what are low-hanging fruit that you would want to fix in a Mario Maker-esque game. So, restart from checkpoint rather than restart level. As someone who watches a lot of Mario Maker on YouTube, it's hilarious when someone really struggles to get to a checkpoint and then they die and they get frustrated and just autopilot restart level. And they're just like, oh no! So... It is dumb that there's no restart from checkpoint option in Mario Maker, only restart level. There should be a restart from checkpoint option, and it should be the default. Feels like you're just picking on Mario Maker right now. It is, it's, well, it's easy to, to take an existing thing and say things that should be fixed. And then the other thing is, yes, when it comes to the actual game mechanics and platforming, obviously you've got blocks and springs and whatever. You should have logic blocks too. You should have switches you should have blocks that can store variables 
and can check for different conditions and so on. That's the sort of thing that lets you build a really varied and interesting level. I mean, I I do wonder if if you baked all the stuff into the base game, it would become less magical because I guess what makes it really surprising in Mario Maker when some of this stuff happens is because you don't think it's possible and then someone's found some crazy hack involving like stacking two cannons and you know that cause it to permanently be loaded and there's there's weird stuff that you can do that just is not at all obvious that it should work and it's exploiting tiny tiny glitches in the engine and so if you just made it really easy for someone to do it would it lose that magic because every level could do it trivially but i don't think so because i think even if you made it easy most people would not use that capability most people don't actually have the creativity to do it or the cruelty to make the ultimate troll. <laughs> but the pitch of the game is to make... It's a game about making troll levels. It doesn't just have to be troll levels. It just so happens that... Well, actually, it's not a bad idea. I realised that what I enjoyed most when it comes to Mario Maker Let's Plays is watching people play troll levels. It started out with people just playing Mario Maker... Then it was people playing Kaizo levels of Mario Maker and being impressed by their skill. And then it was watching people play troll levels of Mario Maker and watching their frustration. But also their triumph when they finally make it. (laughs) Sorry, but the problem with my ideas, actually, is that they're really derivative. They're basically, oh, this game, but better. Or this game smushed together with this game. So I apologise, my ideas are kind of dull. But that's how... You know, there's no original idea ever, or it's rare, very rare. So to get into the actual specific features that I would want to put into the engine to make it more unique. Number one, steganographic sharing. So do you know what the word steganography means? No. So steganography is hiding information inside another medium. So, for example, you have a picture or a music file or something, but hidden in there is another piece of information that's not obvious that it's there. And Mario Maker is cool, and you see people playing cool levels, and you might think, oh, I want to play that level too, or that streamer is playing this level, this looks hilarious, I want to try it as well. How do you find out what level they are playing? You need to get that level code, which is some like UUID, which is, well, is really tough to remember. It's just like random letters and numbers. So my idea is that as you are playing the level, it is actually subtly tweaking the graphics on the level to embed the level code in every single frame of gameplay. So a UUID is 128 bits, which essentially means we just have to tweak at a minimum, say, 128 pixels in such a way that we can detect a one or a zero out of it. You'd probably have to do it many more times to, you know, handle like error correction or losing some of the data by compression, artifact and stuff. But the idea is that you should be able to take a screenshot of anybody playing a level of this game and then just like drop it into the game and it will load up the level they were playing. I think that would be really cool. It would be really cool. I mean, the problem is someone actually has to play it in the first place for this to work, but I think it would help it get momentum. 
Yeah, why not? It's a hard problem, but why not solve it? And then number two, versioned mechanics. This is more a programming thing. So Mario Maker does actually kind of already do this. When they fix a physics glitch or they decide to change the way the physics works, all of the previous levels would potentially become uncompletable if they rely on a particular behavior of the engine. So basically, whenever you change the physics, support all previous versions of the physics. And then I would just say, let people choose exactly what flavor of physics they want. But the real thing is just writing the game in such a way that when you load up a level, you know, oh, I need to load up the physics as it was on like, you know, the 14th of August, 2019, and then use those physics for that level. And that would allow you also to keep iterating the engine and adding new blocks and everything and be confident that you're not breaking old levels so you can move fast, add new features, add new memes, keep it spicy. The big one, number three, rewind smush it together with braid so the game's mechanics you can run time forward and you can run time backward it means that it's completely fine to have terrible trolls because you can just rewind it actually kind of takes a sting out of the trolls so i actually don't know if that will just make troll levels not fun anymore because Someone will die to a troll and they'll just go, go and rewind like five seconds. Or maybe if the troll expects you to rewind. And then you... <laughs> that would work as well. Yeah, you rewind it and it behaves differently the next time. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like people would, you know, life finds a way. They would find an interesting way that you get hit by the troll and you rewind and you try to avoid the troll and you get hit by a different troll. And actually, literally... It's nothing but trolls. There's 15 different trolls that will all kill you every time you rewind and try something different. And actually, the real solution was to do something completely different, like a minute ago. <laughs> oh, this is a terrible world. And finally, number four, sequencer-based music. So you already see this in the music levels in Mario World, but why not? just make it official why not just make the entire music in the game be done like a sequencer where you have different instruments you can lay them down on the level and as you move through the level it plays the music and it doesn't necessarily have to be that the music is tied to your position it's just that this is a way you can make music in the game and all of the music in the game is like this so if you want to be creative and make levels you can make levels but if you want to make music you can just make music and you can share those music tracks too. And other people can pick your music and use it for their level. So there you go. There's my derivative Mario Maker ripoff. But it's something you would play, right? It's something you'd want. I think it's something that I wanted a year ago or maybe two. <laughs> I'm not sure it's something I still want. But I wrote down all this stuff a while back. And then I never got around to actually making it. And now I've decided to try and make it. And I've realized even making a basic platform thing is actually pretty fiddly. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to do it when you're editing a podcast and also have a day job. But we'll see.
Anyway, your turn, Ting. Hmm. So, my idea. See, you're not the only one who's derivative. So I've just said the Sims cross theme office. I thought this was really original. I thought this was really good. I was thinking, wow, Ting's idea is so much more original than mine. I feel so boring in comparison. Like Ting's actually thought of something proper. Yeah, but I don't... It's taken me this long. You've like you've generated 50 ideas. I've generated one. That's the difference. Oh, but it's quality, not quantity. So my idea is like, well, it's based on The Sims. It's more agent-focused. You're focusing on the individuals, the lives within the game. So the idea is to create a workplace for individuals to thrive or just merely survive. So to start off, the focus is on the employees. You know, it's not going to be a simulation where all the agents are copies of one another. They're all going to have their own traits, a lot like The Sims. So we'll have their base stats, you know, productivity, resiliency, loyalty, blah, blah, blah. But then you have archetypes. So I use the Myers-Briggs as like a, a template. So you have guardians, you have masterminds. I don't remember the other ones. It's Myers-Briggs like INTJ and yeah, yeah. ENTP and all of that. Yeah, it's all that. The 16 character types. Yeah. And then off of that, you should identify those character types to build your teams. Right. So rather than just have, oh, there's just eight templates you bung together. It's going to be each individual you hire in will have a different personality type. And you need to engineer for that. W- will you be able to see their personality type? Well, that's, well, I don't know. I, I may have overthought it, but I thought that depends on how much you're going to invest into the interview process. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because in reality, you usually just interview people and kind of hope for the best. And sometimes it's a disaster. <laughs> like my life right now. <laughs> yeah, so you can, it's up to you how much you spend on the interview process. But obviously that takes time from your current employees. So that's removing time from your baseline productivity. So on top of these like archetypes, you have traits as well. Like... You may have a character who likes to drink coffee, a lot of coffee, likes to go for smoke breaks, likes to skive on the toilet. (laughs) You're looking at me far too... (laughs) I'm just seeing what triggers you. (laughs) Likes to arrive late, likes to leave early. Is is chatty, will distract those that, you know, (laughs) distract, will be a distraction. And, you know, and also people who are social, who are social beings and will lift the morale for the team of the team so that that's all the agents all the individuals the employees that's the idea and then after that then you start building out the environment and i've said here that the the main goal is to keep them at the desks really and they'll give you your baseline productivity and then around that everything you buy in will be a modify on to improve that baseline productivity so if you bring in plants coffee machines nicer desks, wall art. And then the other aspect of items in the office would be to make sure they don't leave their desks for too long. So there'll be a log- an element of logistics. So have the coffee machine right next to them, give them a personal coffee machine, have the toilet close to them, make sure the toilets don't get backed up, have an on-site canteen. That's how it'll work. And make sure there are enough meeting rooms for them so they're not queuing for meeting rooms. 
I mean, how much of this is driven from your real life experience too? Because, you know, when there are no meeting rooms, you don't just wait for a meeting room or not have the meeting. You end up just having a random chat or having to go to Starbucks or something. Or you wander the office looking for a meeting room. <laughs> you, you, you nomadically wander the office. We're nomads now. That's what happens though. You've been there. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. I'm just, I'm just thinking like, how realistic do you want to make it? I'm just, I'm just thinking like, you know. Oh, I've thought about that. You can't make it realistic at all. It and, and, fun. And, and are we simulating like a Google or Facebook esque wonder office with slides and whatever? Or are we, are we simulating a corporate gray? Well, the idea is you could simulate both and succeed with both. And that's what's important. So there's not one way to succeed. And it's important that you can build an office full of rainbows and unicorns and waterfalls and succeed. But also you should be able to build like a soul crushing dictatorship where you can burn your employees to the ground, but you can still succeed. So on top of the environmental aspect, you can create policies which are to your benefit, to your people's benefit. So you can set the court hours, can set how much leave they get. Those would be the three moving elements. And then the idea would be to just throw them in together and see how they play out together. But I did have a question for you. In terms of a simulation, is the what's going on on the screen detached from really what's going on in simulation? So it's um, an abstract representation of what's really going on in simulation, or is it really one-to-one? You know, when you play SimCity, right, is it running the simulation as you see on the screen, or is it just abstracting it? So you, you kind of see what's going on. Uh, isn't this model view controller? Isn't this the classic object-oriented programming GUI design thing? No, but then it's I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be. But in the case where they're decoupled, I actually think this is quite an interesting question, right? Because if you were to build it from scratch, and I presume, for example, how like Dwarf Fortress works, there's a simulation, and the simulation is rich and crazy. And then there is a view on top of that. And Dwarf Fortress by default is ASCII, but now there's going to be a tile set coming. And you can also get like 3D visualizers and whatever too. But I think if you were to write a game like this in Unity, and particularly if it was written by someone who wasn't from a programming background to begin with, I think you would end up with the visual representation of the agents literally being the agents themselves. There would be no distinction. But then you'd have very interesting things where they just spend so much time navigating the bloody office that they don't actually spend much time at their desk. You know, it'll take them... Yeah, they're constantly walking toward... They've got stuck on a corner. There's a piece of geometry. There's like this ficus plant. The leaf is a little bit janky and it's managed to snag someone's jacket and now they're trapped. No, what I'm... (laughs) Thanks. I mean, you'll spend disproportionately long walking to the canteen or walking to the toilet, walking anywhere, right? And I don't want to watch, you know, if you want to condense your game into like maybe, what, 24-minute, 12-minute chunks to represent a day, you can't spend like two minutes just walking around the office or walking to the toilet. That's what I was thinking. Have I overthought it? Well, I think a lot of these games don't really run in real time like that. Or you just turn the time acceleration factor up and then everyone zips around. Like- <laughs> Sorry, I just, 
when you said zips, I thought just sprinting to the toilet. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Everyone's just zipping around like cheetahs or something. But that's no fun either. Have you have you played Theme Hospital? Yes. I was trying to figure out or trying to appreciate how they condense time, how they map game time to real time. But they don't have to cater for things like going out for lunch. Right, it's just a queue for them, which makes it different. Do you know what I mean? They go to the GP's office, they go to the nurse, they get their treatment, then they leave. So it's a queue, whereas having a daily cycle is a different challenge. Yeah, I mean, how rich do you make the simulations? You have to simulate them at home, you have to simulate them outside the office environment too. Like, when they step out of the office to go for lunch, do they just cease to exist? And a different level of abstraction takes over. Or what if they eat their lunch at their desk? But we're saying if they have their canteen in the office, then you would simulate that. I mean, ultimately, it should, it has to be interesting enough for you just to sit and watch them, watch your little guys do their bit. And I thought about having founders so that you had people who never left the firm. So you could have Sir Mike who never leaves, like, not what I mean. Like <laughs> these never. founders who are like insufferable jerks and you wish you'd get rid of them and they're constantly draining your productivity, but you can't. Like they're just riding around in the office chairs and shooting Nerf guns at people. And you're like, I wish I could fire this jerk, but he's got 50% of the shares. So they'll never resign ultimately. That's what's important. They'll never resign from the firm. So well, maybe you can make them resign. Maybe you can find a way. But it'd be funny to see what Sir Mike did kind of thing. Spend too long on the toilet (laughs) and go for long coffee breaks. (laughs) Yeah, you see. So you can code that in and you can define that for the founders and see how it looks. I actually think this would be really fun. I I think this is another game that sounds relatively straightforward. And as soon as you try to do it, you realise there's horrifying, exploding complexity underneath when you try and actually simulate all these things. But I think it would be really fun to then try and like turn on creative mode essentially and then try and create what you think a real life company is like and then turn off creative mode and just start the simulation like let's create google let's make an office that has all these blah 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 characteristics and slides whatever go or let's create facebook and there's the all-powerful founder who sits in the glass cube in the middle like you know go let's create dystopian (laughs) like corporate hellhole isn't that netflix i don't know it's like incredibly effective, but actually like sociopathic. Yeah, so you got the idea. I think it's a really cool idea. But I don't think I have the, the artistry to pull it off. Yeah, well, neither, the thing is, neither of us are artists. Like we're both programmers and we both, as a result, tend to think of things in technical terms. But you've thought about, you've thought about it as a problem already. So you're one step closer than me. What do you mean? Like you've thought about creating assets. Well, no. In the end, I think you're going to make programmer art and the biggest problem is not being too invested or attached to your programmer art. Like, I think I think my problem is actually I, I try too hard on it when really it should literally be the smallest possible thing required, like the thinnest, easiest, scrappiest thing required to actually make it functional. And then throw money at the problem and hire an artist. So my initial plan was to ha- have it just run in a grid, like Minds or Epa. Just have moving dots in a grid. I mean, I... I Dwarf Fortress works perfectly well like that. I, I don't... I just don't know whether... But you couldn't watch, you know, if you try to create, recreate Facebook or Google, you wouldn't want... 
want to watch it in ASCII art. That is the thing, you see. Would it be fun? There's just so much stuff on the internet now, though. Like, there's an entire industry built upon exploiting people's dreams. So, by, by that I mean, like, loads of people are churning out you know, Unity Assets, like the Unity Asset Store, for example, is full of stuff of like, you want to make the next Minecraft, here's a load of Minecraft-esque graphics. You want to make the next PUBG, here's a load of FPS graphics that you can use, you know. Well, how was that? PUBG was literally made like that, right? So sometimes it's true, sometimes the dream comes true. But you want graphics, you can just go and pick some off the shelf. If you want it to look beautiful and unique, you'll have to hire someone or collaborate with them and, you know, and agree that you're going to make this thing together. But you could also just throw money at the problem, get some off-the-shelf stuff, or throw money at the problem and commission someone to make stuff for you. Or learn how to do it yourself. That's a fool's errand. Well, okay. I think it can be done. Look at Stardew Valley. But that's an artist creating a game. Yeah. I actually think it's harder to go the other way around from being a programmer to making the art. Just because, I don't know, well, I suppose programming is the same. Like art, art is like a limitless, you can pour limitless amounts of time into art. I mean, I suppose you can pour limitless amounts of time into programming too, but with the programming, there's a very functional like endpoint. Like you would become good enough to make the game you want to make. Whereas with the art, I don't know. I, I just feel like you would put in hundreds, thousands of hours and at the end you could still be dissatisfied with what comes out. Do you know, have, we've been here before, we've said we can become expert in anything given 10,000 hours. I, you know, I didn't, I only managed to get 600 hours of PUBG. You, did you become expert? No. I became less terrible, <laughs> but I'm still not even really that good. It's because you have another, you have another 9,400 hours to go. Yeah. What have I put 10,000 hours in? I don't even know. Probably not even programming at this point. Especially not the last few years. It accumulates. What are you doing? <laughs> Talking. I know you're good at that. That's the thing. I've <laughs> the last few years in particular, what have I done? Given a lot of chat, felt guilty for it. Saying to people on my team, I'm sorry, you guys are having to do all the work and I'm just attending all the meetings. They're like, no, 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 please attend all the meetings. We don't want to talk to any of these people. We want to just write code. Yeah. Eating, sleeping, drinking coffee. You're now an expert in drinking coffee. I know that. That So this idea has actually been sloshing around in my head for a long, 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 long time. And it's basically just Final Fantasy Tactics crossed with NetHack, aka Final Fantasy Hacktics, which seemed like a really creative idea, like, over a decade ago when I first thought of it. 
there is a massive demand for something like this. It really boggles the mind that a good Final Fantasy Tactics successor has not been made. Like, I literally don't understand. Because Final Fantasy Tactics was so good. It was literally just so good. And I'm not the only person who thought this. Like, all over the internet, you get game journos or bloggers or whatever, all talking about how Final Fantasy Tactics was this incredible game. And yet, for some reason, nobody has tried to make another Final Fantasy Tactics. They even made an Advance Wars-style sequel. What, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, you mean? No, no, what I mean is Advance Wars was desperate for a sequel. So someone made... Oh, I see. Yeah, there have been Kickstarter projects to make spiritual successors to Advance Wars. And there is, of course, Wargroove, which is essentially a spiritual successor to Advance Wars. But yeah, nobody's made a Final Fantasy Tactics. There have been other tactical RPGs, but none of them has really tried to be Final Fantasy Tactics. Like None of them have really had sufficiently similar mechanics that have captured that depth and character of the game. You could successfully kickstart a spiritual successor to this. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true, though, because a whole bunch of people have said they want to make one, and just what comes out the other end is just not the same. Like, you know, before I decided no more backing games on Kickstarter because every single one is a disappointment, except maybe Divinity Original Sin. But I backed several games that said they wanted to be successors to Final Fantasy Tactics and they all came out bad. I can't even remember what half of them were called now. What was the... Wow, it's really bugging me that I can't remember the name of this game now. Something Legacy. Can I look this up? Yeah. So the two two examples of Kickstarters I backed, Unsung Story, which literally billed itself as a spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics, which appears to have gone nowhere in like five years, and Massive Chalice, which was a double fine game from that era when they were just trying to kickstart everything and just made a load of disappointments. But we don't hold it against them, though. It's, it's, I don't know. I really think we do. Their name is tarnished for me now. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a double fine game. Oh, forget it then. Seriously, like, Double Fine's like, what have they done recently? Are they not remastering all the LucasArts games? So they're trading on their past successes. And it's working. (sighs) Anyway, anyway. This is another pitch, essentially, where I'm saying... I want to remake something better. And then I have a whole bunch of specific mechanics that I think would be cool. I guess it's just how my brain works, actually. Seeing as my ideas have all been framed in this way. It's like this plus this, plus these are the key mechanics I think would make it really interesting or set it apart. So, yes, the gameplay should be like Final Fantasy Tactics. You should lead a small squad into battle, into this dungeon... And you should play it like a tactical RPG. Your characters should grow and have jobs with the job system and be able to specialize by, you know, taking a path through these like interconnected network of jobs that they can, they can have. 
this is just how the job system worked in Final Fantasy Tactics, but regardless, I really liked the Final Fantasy Tactics combat. I thought it was pretty clever, you know, with the way the character's movement and facing affects, you know, your chance to hit, the fact that you have to charge up spells, and you can see when something's going to go off and look through the turn order and, and be like, oh, this big spell's going to hit, I'm going to die but this other character is going to get a turn first and maybe they can try and interrupt the spell or maybe I have a time mage and I can use them to cast a spell to accelerate someone else so they get their turn first so that they can then get another chance to, you know, all of these interesting situations that arose as a result of your party composition and the turn order or like speed, speed is king, like make a really, really, really fast character and then, you know, they can get in there first or they can take two turns for every person's one turn or... I don't know. It was just a great system. Plus, NetHack, which you've not played? No. What am I really trying to take from NetHack? I'm just trying to take the procedural dungeon generation. So, you know, NetHack is a roguelike, but it, it's a direct successor of Rogue. We've talked about it a bit in the past, so I won't labour it, but it is procedural dungeon generation, right? So, making the dungeon that your party is exploring a procedural thing. It's new every time. Every time you go into the dungeon, you never know what you're going to get. Is there gear? Do they have gear? Yeah, I mean, of course, a huge part of the game is find loot, get good gear, get cool weapons, get cool armor. You know, that as much as leveling up is part of what feels good about these kind of games like finding unique items finding random stuff we could have a loot system you can have a loot engine is that what you want me to say will there be multiplayer no don't be ridiculous this is a rich single player experience thing you could have competitive multiplayer no you couldn't (laughs) how how would this work well you're just battling instead of battling ai you battle a human opponent yeah i mean i have thought this but i'm not sure it's really fun I don't know. There was a multiplayer mode in the PSP remake of Final Fantasy Tactics, but I never played it because I didn't know anyone else had the game. Did you never think the AI was too poo-poo for you? Esports, multiplayer, esports, microtransactions. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... <laughs> We're talking about a different game here now, right? <laughs> this this is a different game. Could you do this? Yes, you could. Would it be fun? Maybe. I'm, I mean, no, I'm just being... Uh, just doing an EA. You know what? Now we're talking about a different game, but that probably would actually be quite fun. I mean, think about if you had Hearthstone or Dota, but you played it in a tactical way. Having said that, there's a reason people moved away from these kind of games, because they are too cerebral. They don't stream necessarily that well, I guess. People want fast action, right? Yeah, but you could just have more fireworks when things happened. It's all about the thinking. This is a thinking person's game. Hearthstone requires thought. Hearthstone does require thought, but this is slower than Hearthstone, and particularly for the multiplayer aspect you know well you'd want like fog of war and vision cones and everything which actually final fantasy tactics doesn't have but nethack does and i think you would want that you would want to i mean you're gonna naturally end up as a result of the fusion of these mechanics ending up with something kind of like XCOM, weirdly because there will be monsters moving around on that floor of the dungeon that you can't see and essentially it's going to be like the hidden movement phase of XCOM, where in between your character's turns, some other monster gets a turn that you don't see until they suddenly enter your line of sight. And then, whoa, I wasn't planning for this Demogorgon. 
But anyway, that whole chat that ended up taking a huge amount of time was meant to be like the five minute, well, it's going to be the fusion of these two games. We haven't actually talked about any of the stuff that I thought would make it interesting and unique. So obviously I can't really call it Final Fantasy Hacktics. So what did I actually think the lore and modern mechanics of this game would be rather than fusing these two old games, although one is much older than the other? So the idea is that it would be called Dungeon Seed and the plot, a seed of a dungeon falls from the sky and slams into the earth and buries itself deep underground and then the seed germinates and a dungeon grows from it and you know the stalk of the dungeon reaches the surface and like monsters are pouring out and terrorizing nearby villages and so you a band of adventurers goes into the dungeon to try and well stop all the monsters like what's going on and so your first playthrough or your first few playthroughs because you don't necessarily have to be successful the first time round will be to lead a party of adventurers down to the heart of the dungeon where the seed is. And then you retrieve the seed and that stops the dungeon from growing. And then you bring the seed back to the surface. But that's just like the first run and it's not really the end. So the overall meta game is once you've got the seed, you can control the seed in some way and then you can plant the seed to grow a new dungeon. And so those initial conditions you set for the seed affect the kind of dungeon that it grows. And so eventually, you know, you're going to grow a deeper or more powerful dungeon that's going to have better loot, but also maybe deeper lore too. Because really... Deeper lore? <laughs> yeah, because... Okay, okay, it seems I, tenuous. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like, because the thing is, like, I love the story in this sort of game, right? So, like... I just think it's a cool mystery. This thing falls from the sky and it grows a dungeon. You know, what is it? And the idea would be that as you play more and more through the game and you get to deeper floors of the dungeon and like, you know, maybe the first dungeon tops out at like 10 levels and then you retrieve the seed and you, you tweak it somehow or you plant it in better conditions and it grows 20 levels. And as you go deeper, the kind of things that are in the dungeon become you know, the, there are tougher monsters, but there's also different kinds of loot or weirder stuff that's hinting at what the seed is and also giving you hints about what you can do to the seed in like the metagame outside when you next plant it and what kind of dungeon it's going to grow. And so the ultimate goal of the game or like the true ending is to understand the seed, like to unlock all the secrets of the seed. And so, like, my, you know, my deep lore metagame idea was that the seed is going to be some relic of a long dead civilization, or maybe it's like a colony ship of some ancient and super advanced civilization. But, you know, maybe there's no FTL in this universe. Maybe it's impossible. I mean, maybe that's this universe. Who knows? And so their homeworld is dying or their stars going supernova or some nonsense like that. Whatever. Oh, don't say nonsense. You've ruined it. <laughs> the key thing is their planet is dying. They, they want to colonize the galaxy or something. And so they can either or get onto a whole bunch of generation ships and asteroids or something, or they can just make these seeds and fire them out. And the seed is going to like land in a planet and like regrow their civilization. But obviously something goes wrong. You know, you've got millions of years of entropy as this thing is traveling through the void. 
that was my general conception for what the seed is. You know, it's 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 not a very well formed idea. Oh, it is, it is. But you you can see like there's something there. You could write a really rich and interesting backstory and have a deep mystery of what the seed is and all these ways that you can tweak the seed. Like maybe you know you you end up with some meta game about how to program the seed because I mean, the thing is it's also kind of a pun, right? Because a seed is what you feed into a random number generator to make one of these procedural dungeons, and so you have a literal seed that you plant to make the dungeon and it's not just a number maybe it's it's a num the number embeds it in itself a set of rules maybe the number is like really it's like code it's like dna and like figuring out you know you're going to plant the seed and you just have to type in a load of stuff and what you type in is going to affect what grows and maybe you type in the right thing you can like grow actual people in the seed like people from the civilization or there's like artifacts of language or i I don't know there's all sorts of stuff that you could do with this i just think it's a it's it's an idea that's got legs it is it is yeah so i guess it's just making explicit a lot of the modern rogue light roguelike mechanics where you know you play through a game and you meet certain conditions and it unlocks things and so it will be like that literally with a seed you meet certain conditions in the dungeon and that permanently unlocks the ability to create those things in the seed and maybe your party is persistent which is quite different from a lot of other roguelike games you know maybe it's like a long single player campaign but you get to keep your party and keep leveling them up as you go deeper and deeper into this dungeon you're growing from the seed Mm, i do like the idea of being able to replant or plant the seed in in, you know, anywhere, and then exploring that way, because you don't know, well, until you do the planting, what you're going to see, and then you have to put in the effort to go down to see what's there. Kind of very interesting hub world. So there you go. I mean, I guess the other thing I thought about mechanically was a magic system. So, this might be one of the things that sounds good on paper, but it's actually totally not fun. But, I was thinking when someone's casting a spell, obviously there's some lead time. They have to charge up the spell. And if you are inexperienced in magic, you'll just see them waving their hands about, but you can't really understand what's going on. You don't really know how long before the spell goes off and you don't really know what the spell is going to be. And then basically as you become more trained in magic, you would develop essentially like mana vision. So you would then be able to see the flows of mana and have some idea of how complete the spell is and what's going into the spell, like how much mana is being drawn into the spell or maybe the colours of mana that are feeding the spell. So like red mana makes it fire or something. So again, I just thought it might be an interesting gameplay mechanic. So, you know, maybe only your warrior has line of sight of the wizard and so they can't see the flows of mana. So you know, you're information poor. Like, do you decide that you should just train all of your party to some level in magical skill just so they can understand what spells are going to be thrown at you? Or do you just handicap yourself and try and go with a purely physical party and you're just guessing the whole game? It's like, well, I know, you know, these kinds of enemies usually cast ice spells and it usually takes about this long. So I don't really need mana vision because I have enough metagame knowledge instead. And then another cool slash terrible pun i thought of was dark mana which is kind of like the magical equivalent of dark matter so you know 
the galaxy is kind of held together by dark matter, but we can't detect it except by its effect on, well, mass, like gravity. You know, it's, it's affecting, we can tell by its gravitational effects that it must exist, but we can't directly observe it. And I was thinking, what if, you know, the secrets of the seed or a secret in the seed is tied to this dark manner? So this source of great magical power that you can't directly interact with, you can only see its effects in some second order way and then you have to infer its existence and then find some way to tap that source by figuring out where it's coming from and like following it back but you, you can't directly see it sounds annoying sounds annoying i just think it'll be a really co- again these these are all things where like you get layers upon layers upon layers and i think i think having a lot of layers and metagame to a game is what makes it interesting Having said that, this is a game that I started thinking about back when I first played Final Fantasy Tactics and NetHack, so a long time ago. And I guess it's the sort of game that I would have loved to play when I had ridiculous amounts of time. So maybe it's the sort of game that I would just buy when it came out and never play now, which is what I seem to do for a lot of these big RPGs. You just need to modernise the idea just to make it not so lengthy where it doesn't need to be so what you're saying is multiplayer and microtransactions <laughs> and it's not turn-based anymore now it's going to be a 5v5 action game with towers where you have to defend them from your oh no wait that's dota if you could make a run that lasted half an hour that'd be quite good and you knew that your battles could turn around in in a few minutes and then you could have a few rounds of battles yeah well that's why i was thinking about you know replanting the seed or maybe you don't regrow even the whole dungeon because that would be crazy anyway maybe you just retrieve the seed and you can reprogram it and it grows one more floor i like the idea of like you complete a run you get the seed again and you plant the seed in in a new new area and then you see what grows and then find out what's down there and you know that if you plant the seed in certain environments or certain terrains you get something specific or something within this set of rewards that sounds really good yeah i mean that was the general concept but at the same time i think if you had a dungeon that was like three floors deep that would just feel really unsatisfying you'd be like this isn't a dungeon this is a basement <laughs> how, how how many floors do you need like at least 10 maybe like 50 200 <laughs> how big are skyrim dungeons yeah but that's the skyrim skyrim dungeons feel like a basement that's the problem Every Skyrim dungeon, you go in there and you can already see as you enter the, you know, the fast exit path. And you're just like, can I just use that? Instead, I have to go through this like big donut of traps to get back there and then pick up my mediocre loot. Like the only one that's exciting is when you accidentally end up in Black Reach and you're like, whoa, this was bigger than I expected. I feel like Isaac is a good template. Not that you should base your games off other games. <laughs> Except that's what, <laughs> this is literally what I've done. <laughs> Yes, Isaac is a good template for an action roguelike. Okay. But it's not Final Fantasy Tactics. This is probably why no one's done it, right? People don't make slow, thinky games anymore, unfortunately. You can make fast, thinky games. That's what you need to do now. (laughs) I guess so. Slay the Spire is hard. People watch YouTubers be bad at Slay the Spire. You can make a game that's hard and YouTubers will be bad at it, but people will watch. Slay the Spire is so good. I mean, to be honest, maybe 
the Final Fantasy Tactics part is the pipe dream, maybe just the dungeon seed is actually the only original and important part of this idea. The actual mechanics of exploring the dungeon don't have to be Final Fantasy Tactics. Are you going to make a, a deck building game? Is that all the rage at the moment? We can go there. Slay the Spire is written in Java, you know. We could totally do that. I mean, actually, we probably couldn't. But we, we in theory, we could totally do that. Just decompile it. What? That's so rude, Ting. I'm sorry, guys. That, that's so rude. Let's, let's decompile. <laughs> so how how is this part of the, the Beagle cinematic universe? Oh, yeah. I I had an idea that an encounter in the dungeon could be the Beagle Brigade. And I was thinking, they'd be like, you know, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yes. But they're beagles. Or well, they're not. They're not anthropomorphic. They're literally beagles. So I, I just thought it'd be really cute slash cool. But then actually I thought it'd be kind of bad because I couldn't bear to actually beat up a pack of cute beagles. But literally like beagles all wearing different colored bandanas and like one of them's holding a sword in their mouth the other one's holding a wand one of them is like the leader and is not holding anything in their mouth they just got the super bark <laughs> but they're the enemy well yeah don't I mean, do that yeah that, that's why i was thinking I, I can't bear to have you have to go and hit a beagle with a broadsword that just seems wrong but then again if the beagle's got like a broadsword in its mouth and it's trying to cut off your ankles then maybe it's okay can you not be the beagle brigade can you not be the well elsewhere in my notebook of game ideas i do have dungeon dogs which is literally a nethack-esque game and you're different kinds of dogs and yeah i i thought again it would be funny i can't i can't even remember why i thought of this but you know like you i thought you'd start off with different breeds of dogs and they'd have different kind of base properties i i can't even remember where this was going something about pomeranians and Huskies, and then Pomskies, and Huskaranians. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, there there, there were a lot of ideas in the past few years that involved dogs and terrible dog puns. There's still time. Well, we haven't even talked about my dog-themed dual pistols VR game, Gun Boy, with an E on the end. It makes no sense for this to be about dogs, though, because, like, the dog can only hold one gun in its mouth... Like, I, I don't even know what I was thinking that day when I wrote that down. They can have suits, mech suits. Mech suits. It's good enough for Rick and Morty. So when can we expect Dungeon Seed? Um, I don't know. Can, can I kickstart it and collect a million dollars and then just fail to live for five years and then that's it? Because that's what Unsung Story has appeared to have done. <laughs> no. Oh. Then... How about it can coincide with the release of Avatar 5? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'll try and get some kind of movie tie-in. They have, they have a monstrous marketing budget. There you go. Maybe Avatar 5 is actually going to be the big screen version of Dungeon Seed. I thought you'd say something clever like, done when it's done, or what did the Dwarf Fortress guys say? Time is subjective. There you go. Time is running out. That's the problem. We're getting older by the second. But we won't die any sooner. That's also a problem. <laughs> we won't die any sooner? Doesn't feel that way. We won't die any later either. <laughs> That's also a problem. Are we done? 
Yeah, we're done. We've been done for ages. <laughs> you're the one who keeps dragging this out. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to finish. And you're like, no, no, let's talk about... No, I'm kidding. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On YouTube. And Twitch as Lost Levels Club. So, Michael, what are you grateful for? I am grateful that we got five ice creams for $95 from 7-Eleven. Is that a good deal? It is now. I wasn't sure if it was a good deal, actually. I thought I got the till and he scanned them and then the discount was less than expected. And I was like, oh, wait, did we save like two pounds here? Then why did I buy five ice creams? Apart from the excuse to eat four ice creams later. Well, three. You should be grateful for that. You're an adult. This is how you adult. <laughs> I'm an adult. I can buy 10 ice creams if I like. You're right. I'm going out right after this recording and I'm going to buy 10 more ice creams. My freezer's going to overflow with ice creams. I'm going to put on a lot of weight. So Michael says bye. Bye bye.